Tonight I want to start, and I don't know how, how many sections we'll break this up in, but it's at least more than one. Um, tonight I want to start talking about the armor of God. And so turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. And I really don't want to hurry through this in any way, but at the same time I don't want to, you know, just get bogged down in too many uh, uh, needless details, I guess. But I want really want to kind of, I want to make sure everybody has a good understanding of not only what the armor of God is, but the purpose of it. <clears throat> so uh, I guess before we start, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just come to you right now, Lord, and Lord, you see me standing here. You know that there's nothing special about me. And Father, I just want to be humble before you, and I ask that you just, you take me as I am, Lord, that you would just use me. And Father, I ask that you send your holy anointing right now to, to break any yoke of bondage. Lord, anything that would hinder what your word uh, would try to accomplish tonight, Lord, I ask that you send the Holy Spirit to begin working in the hearts and minds of those that are here tonight to hear this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So starting in verse 10. <clears throat> Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you should be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now let's go ahead and, and get back into where I want to focus tonight. We're mainly going to be looking tonight at verses 10 through 13, which is leading up to what the armor of God actually is. So today we're really going to be talking about the purpose of the armor of God. So if you look in, in verse, uh, let's just start in verse 11, I guess. He says, put on the whole armor of God. You know, that, that one little statement right there says a whole lot. He says the whole armor of God. What that tells you is that, it tells you two different things actually. It says the whole armor, first of all, that means that you can't pick and choose the pieces of the armor that you want to use. Now you can try to do that, but they're not going to be effective by themselves. Because each one is hinged on the other. 
If you, in fact, if you know anything about the way armors were, you know that that when you would put on one piece of the armor, oftentimes the next piece in succession would hook onto it. And they were sometimes supported by another piece. So as you look at these different pieces of the armor of God as we go into this, I want you to keep that in mind that, that you need the whole armor of God. And the second part I want you to see there is that it's the armor of God. And as we go into this, you'll see that, like, for example, the breastplate of righteousness. That is the righteousness of God, not your righteousness. So as you look at these pieces of this armor, you need to remember that this is not my armor. This is God's armor. The pieces that, that the Word lays out for us there are based on His righteousness, His truthfulness, His Word. And anything I have to interject into that is worthless. You see, if I try to put on the breastplate of Kevin's righteousness, it's not going to offer much protection. If I try to put on the Kevin the girdle of Kevin's truth, it's going to be pretty weak. It ain't going to hold up much. You see, because my qualities are flawed. But God's qualities are not. They're perfect. So we need to remember that as we look at this. This is His armor, not ours. Verse 13. And I may kind of bounce back and forth, so y'all just bear with me. Verse 13 tells us, you know, the wording of verse 13, especially the end of it, is, is kind of tricky. It says that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, comma, and having done all, comma, to stand. It almost don't sound like a sentence. In fact, when you look at it, it almost looks like the next sentence kind of finishes it up. But what you need to understand is what he's saying there is you need to do everything you can to stand is what he's basically saying in in layman's terms. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done everything you can do, do it so you can stand. That's what he's saying. Now what does it mean, what is he talking about to stand? You see, there is a that is a reference to terminology that we don't really use anymore. What he's talking about, have y'all ever heard the term that someone fell in battle? What did that mean? I mean they died on the battlefield. I mean they lost. He's talking about standing in battle. He's talking about when it's all said and done. You're the one left standing. When the battle's over, you're the one left standing on the battlefield. See, that's how a victor was determined. Because you didn't fall in battle and you didn't flee in battle. You was left standing. When it was all over with, you were the one that was left. That's who won. 
So that's what He's telling you is that you need to do everything you can so that when the battle is over, you're the one left standing. And how do you do that? By putting on the whole armor of God. The whole armor of God. I'm gonna, I don't want to just wear it out tonight because I know y'all, y'all get it. You understand. <clears throat> couple other scriptures that we've covered in the past few weeks that tie right into this. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 and 4 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And James 4 and 7 Submit yourself therefore, yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And remember how we talked about resist, oppose. Which is the same as stand. See, those all tie in together. And I think if you will look, it do not even take a, a very intelligent person to look and see that there's so many references in the New Testament especially the the things that Paul wrote that tell us that this is a war and we are in warfare. And you see, and I've told you this before, war comes to you whether you invite it or not. See, when you choose a side, you have an enemy. Don't matter which side you choose. You can't can't be the, the ambassador in the middle, okay? You pick a side and that's the side you're on and then whoever's on the other side is your enemy. Well, I believe everybody here tonight has chosen a side and that's God's side. And we know the Word says that if God be for us, who can be against us, right? Well, that doesn't mean that there won't be attacks. That doesn't mean that just because we chose the good side and that God is on our side, that we won't have an adversary. In fact, the Word says that our adversary, the devil, what? Goes goes through the earth looking who he may devour, right? In Kevin's terms. So we have an adversary. And this chapter in Ephesians lays out for us not really not not a battle plan but it gives us some information as to as to what we're equipped with you know that's important to know if you're going to go into battle you need to know what you have at your disposal you need to know what kind of prote- look I ain't going to go to battle if I don't don't know what kind of protection I have. I'm not going to just go running out on a battlefield not knowing where's the next place I can duck behind cover. That would be foolish. It would be foolish. But see, we're in war. It's all around us. Now this word tells us something. It tells us that, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're spiritual. Our war is a spiritual war. Verse 12 in Ephesians 6 and 10 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. 
Now, I want you to remember this. Because, see, sometimes we confuse. I say we. Maybe it doesn't apply to you. I'm going to tell you about me, though. Sometimes I confuse my adversary, the devil, with flesh and blood people. You understand what I mean? Sometimes I, I, I see how Satan has used them to attack me and I confuse the flesh and blood person with the spiritual warfare that's going on. You understand now? You see, that, that Scripture tells you that we war not against flesh and blood. Now, I want you to remember that. Why? Because the next time somebody is used by Satan, sometimes they don't even know it. So the next time that person comes at you, I want you to remember it's not them that you have a, a fight to pick with. In fact, they're the ones you need to be praying for. See, they're not your adversary. You, you understand that? See, that's something God showed me just tonight. They're not my adversary. We war not against flesh and blood. But, let me read the rest of it. Against principalities. Against powers. What's a principality? Anybody know? Anybody? Y'all know what a principality is? Right, right. It was an area that somebody had control over, right? Like a king or a prince or somebody had been given charge over this area. It was their area. That was their responsibility. They had power there. If anything was going to get done, you had to go to them to get it done. It's a principality. So remember that. We war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So you see, and look, I, I'm not a theologian, I haven't done enough research to really break this down. I'm going to make kind of a stab at it, though. and Maybe we can discuss it later. Maybe I'll find out more information and we can go deeper. But I'm going to make a theory tonight that when it says principalities and it's talking about spiritual wickedness in high places, that there is some sort of order and chain of command with the dark side, so to speak. Obviously, Satan has ultimate control and responsibility there. We could think of him as the king. And he has subordinates that are in control of various places that report to him. Okay? Once again, I'm just, I'm kind of making this up as I go, okay? I'm trying to get a handle on this in my own mind. But I believe that follows with what the Word's telling us there, that the things we war against... And see, sometimes we, we always say Satan or the devil. But we need to understand that it's a little deeper than just that. You see, by doing that, sometimes we give Satan a lot of power. 
that he really doesn't have. And we give him, we, we put him sometimes up so high like he's God, like he has ultimate power and ultimate control to do whatever he wants to do. And you see, that is not the case. Just like our president has a certain amount of power, but there's just so much he can do without having somebody else say, okay, and then somebody else says, okay. You see, there's, there's channels that he has to go through to get something done. And I want you to understand that Satan does not have ultimate power. Satan is not all-knowing. You see, we think about that sometimes like, like Satan can read our thoughts and like he can, he can just you know, plan a thought in your mind and there's nothing you can do about it. That old Satan, Satan, that old saying that says, Satan made me do it. The devil made me do it. No, he didn't make you do nothing. But we look at him like that, you know. We kind of, we almost build him up sometimes. Not that we want to do it in a good way, but because of our, I guess, maybe sometimes our fear of him, we give him a little more power than what he really has. So these principalities, I believe that, you know, there was a third part of the angels that fell with him. And I believe those are kind of his captains or whatever. They're his subordinates. And he's given them certain areas that they need to manage in whatever way it is. So what I'm, the reason why I'm telling you this is that we need to remember that when we're going into battle... Don't think of your enemy as this all-powerful being that we need to fear. Now, I'm not trying to tell you that you can, on your own, go fight Satan. That's why it's the armor of God, you see? That's why it's His sword of the Spirit. That's why it's His breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. That's why they're His things because we need His strength and His power. But at the same time, I want you to realize that if you're covered by the blood and full of the Holy Ghost, you've got everything you need. You've got, you're covered by a power that is so awesome and so great and so mighty that our adversary pales in comparison. I want you to understand just how weak he is in comparison to our God. You see, he has, to, he has to have all these other fallen angels and all these demons and, and all these little people that he can manipulate and move around to do things just so that he can get something accomplished. But God can just speak and it's done. God just, just moves a little finger and things happen. You see, that's, how, that's the difference. Satan has to manipulate and twist and warp and lie and cheat and steal, but God just speaks truth and it happens. Man. See, we serve an awesome God. Man, we forget it sometimes. We forget just how powerful He is.
Let's go ahead and uh, let me see here. <clears throat> let's talk about verse 14. We've kind of already touched on some of it, but stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. I've already told you that's His righteousness. But having your loins girt about with truth. And maybe y'all maybe y'all have heard all this before. I don't know. But sometimes it does me good to kind of talk about it. <laughs> Get it out in the open, you know. Refreshes my memory on it. Because sometimes I even forget how great God is and, and what He's done and, and the great symbolism that there is in the armor of God. But this girdle of truth, what a... <clears throat> Now, I don't want to, I'm not going to talk about today's kind of girdles, women. <laughs> but back in these days, what did a girdle do? A girdle, it bound you up, right? But it wasn't for looks, it was for support. You know, like these back braces you wear. Pull that thing around and get it on there nice and tight. And what does it do? It. It strengthens your midsection. And I don't know if y'all have ever had a hurt back. But I'm going to tell you right now, you hurt somebody's back and they are out of commission. That shows you how much strength is necessary in the midsection, right? So this girdle of truth was not only something to support your midsection and to to give you greater strength as you're trying to stand and fight against somebody. But it was also what other pieces of the armor hung on, especially your sword. Everything attached to it and hooked in. Now think about that for a minute. The girdle of truth. Everything in this armor hangs on truth. You understand that? Truth is the core of this armor. Truth. And we know that God doesn't lie. We know that He's not capable of it. There's no deceit in Him. He doesn't try to trick us in any way. God is truth. His Word is truth. That it's only fitting that the armor of God be centered and, and hung on truth, right? Amen. Now, what is, how does that apply? See, I want you to understand too that some of these pieces of this armor, even though they seem defensive, can almost at the same time be offensive. They can almost in a way be used as a weapon. I, I want to clarify that because they're not really weapons. But... In our spiritual battles, truth. And I kind of talked about this some in Sunday school this morning. God showed me one time that if there's something I'm hiding, some sin, something that I, I'm holding on to and keeping dark, I don't want anybody to find out about, Satan can use that against me. And you see, what the words that, that God gave me was bring it into the light. 
When you bring something into the light and expose it, His power is null and void. He lost power over you the minute you brought it into the light. So, so how that ties in, you see, truth can be a weapon in a sense that you've taken power away from Satan. That's, that's how I, I intended to say that. It's not a weapon like you would strike at him, but you have taken power away from him when you base things on truth. How, how many of y'all have ever seen a time when maybe in dealings in, in your work or something like that where you spoke the truth and then somebody tried to accuse you and you just, I don't care, man. You can say whatever you want to say. I told the truth. I didn't lie. And they may try to make accusations, but you don't even have to sweat trying to cover up anything because you told the truth. And then other times, I remember when I was school in school, man, I got so good. Me and my one of my friends, and Shane probably was, was there with us too, we got so good at, at lying to our teachers and principals and things, we could, we could almost just look at each other and know the direction the lie needed to go without having to ahead of time get together and plan it all out. We're just good at it, man. We've done it so much, right? But see, the, the problem with a lie, and you all know this, is that there comes a point in time when you're questioned on it again, and you've got to remember it the same way. And then they may ask you another question that you hadn't thought of, and all of a sudden you've got to take all of that stuff into account to make sure the thing you say next doesn't contradict. And it's hard to do that. In fact, most of the time you get to a point where you can't keep it up. Somebody catches you in it. But see, when you hang it on truth, no worry. No no even kind of, I don't even have to think about it. I can just tell you what happened. This is what happened. And if they don't believe you, it doesn't matter because all you can do is tell them what happened. Tell them the truth and that's it. And that's what this armor, this whole armor of God is based on is truth. We don't have to worry about Satan. See, he's called the accuser of the brethren. What does he accuse us of? Our sins, right? He accuses us of our sins even though they may be forgiven. But see, when, we, when it's a sin that we may have asked forgiveness for, but we're hiding it, He still accuses us of it. And we say, yeah, I know. I was forgiven, but don't bring it up. I don't want to talk about it. I'm, I'm keeping that hid. Skeleton in the closet, you know what I mean? Even though you've been forgiven, it's still in the dark. And you can't base your armor on that. You see, if there's one piece of that armor missing, Satan knows. He's going to find a a way to attack. And that armor doesn't work if there's any piece of it missing. 